0: Welcome to the Plans and Provisions podcast, your source for homesteading and preparedness, information, and inspiration. We're so glad you're here. We'll be talking with some incredible folks, sharing ideas, and learning what we can do to become more independent and resilient in these interesting times. Now here's your host, Jason White. As we begin to wrap up our second growing season here on our homestead this fall, we're grateful for the food we're producing and the progress that we're making. Our property came pretty much turnkey for what we were planning to do here, but there's one thing we do wish we already had here that wasn't, and that's fruit trees. We've tossed around plans and ideas from the outset, but never got around to planting fruit for one reason or another. They're definitely a long-term commitment, and while we know it takes quite a while to get a harvest, we didn't want to make any big mistakes from being too hasty. In today's episode, I get to pick the brain of someone who has been hasty, made lots of mistakes, and is now able to teach people like me how to start off on the right track when planting an orchard. Her name is Susan Poisner of OrchardPeople.com, who over 14 years ago got an idea to plant a community orchard in a neglected park in her neighborhood. That decision started her on a journey which, today, finds her using her knowledge and experience as an author, educator, radio host, and podcaster. In our conversation, we take a pretty deep dive into one of the biggest mistakes most folks make when starting an orchard, the selection process. She shares many of the most common mistakes when getting started, but also solutions for those that may have already gotten their orchard off on the wrong foot. We get to hear some surprising tips for how to speed up the initial growth of our fruit trees, And Susan shares some of the resources she has available for those wanting to plant an orchard of their own. Hey, Susan. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Well, I am happy too. I've been looking forward to this. I've wanted to have somebody on the podcast for quite a while. I just haven't really found the right fit. I think I've found it today, but um, as I was mentioning before I hit record, You know, we've been on our homestead for about two years. And we haven't planted one single fruit tree. Well, we planted a couple of uh, elderberry cuttings, but that's another story. But um, so I'm really excited to ask you lots of questions that uh, I actually talked to my wife and said, hey, what questions should I ask? So we're, we're ready with some questions. Hopefully you're ready to answer those. But before we get into that, I'd like to just, you know, have you set the stage a little bit with the audience and tell a little bit about your background and how you came to to uh, to be in the position you are right now.
1: Absolutely. Well, so I started uh, growing fruit trees about 14 years ago. And at that time, I was a gardener. Actually, my background is journalism, filmmaking. I've worked at uh, the BBC World Service in England. I've worked all over the world. But for various reasons, I became a gardener for three years. So I was knowledgeable about gardening. And um, I'm somebody who's filled with ideas of possibility. What is possible? And I live right up the road from a park that was very neglected. And there just nobody spent time there. It was kind of yucky. And I thought, wait, what if we plant fruit trees there? That would be so cool. That would bring people to the park. We could harvest. We could enjoy the trees and the blossoms. Children could harvest the fruit. I thought it was a great idea. So I spearheaded this whole project knowing not what I was doing and not realizing that fruit trees do need hands on care. I I am a gardener. I understand gardening, but I really had this misconception that fruit trees just needed some water, some mulch, and they would just do their thing and give us beautiful harvests for for years to come. Well, it didn't quite unfold that way, and I had so many challenges in the early years. So I learned from those challenges. I, I called on my journalistic skills to research, to interview people, to try and figure out what was going wrong. How do I fix this? My main question was, what is the minimum that I need to do in order to keep these trees healthy and productive? So I did not know what I was doing. Uh, I had lots of challenges. And my main question was, what is the minimum that I need to do to keep these fruit trees healthy and productive? Because this wasn't going to be my full time job. I just wanted to plant a variety of many different fruit trees in the park. And so that started me on a journey to learn what was involved, to use my research skills. And from there, our project became very popular and very successful. And people started to come to me to say, hey, how can I do a project like this in my park or in my community garden? How do I grow these fruit trees? And so I wrote a book. I created online courses. I now have a radio show and podcast. So I'm all about educating people in how to grow fruit trees successfully and especially right from the start.
0: Wow, I love it. I love the vision that you had there, looking at that park and, and kind of naively thinking, hey, I can just plant some trees, give them a nice layer of mulch and, and just watch them grow and it'll be wonderful. So I'm sure you you learned quite a bit in just that process alone. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we moved here just about two years ago. We've got about five acres here in the Ozarks, Southern Missouri. And uh, speaking to somebody uh, early on in the podcast and kind of asking, hey, what, what do you recommend for somebody who just moved on to a property? And they said, uh, plant your fruit trees yesterday. And I thought, oh, you know, I think he's right. And thankfully, we didn't have the money at the time to invest. And we had all kinds of ideas and, and vision. And it came up with a pretty good uh, large budget of what it would cost us. And it just kept us from moving forward. Do you feel like we've made a mistake in not planting already? Or what are your thoughts there?
1: I absolutely disagree with that statement. You can plant your zucchini plant yesterday for sure. No problem. Absolutely. That zucchini can go in yesterday. And then, you know, maybe you'll have a day earlier harvest. The, thi- the difference is your fruit tree, if you go grab the first fruit trees that you find in the big box store or the garden center, pop them in the ground. Those fruit trees are forever. They're for a long time. And you want to make sure you get the right tree that will thrive in your condition. Because here's what happens. You grab a fruit tree from the garden center, you pop it in the ground, and it seems to be okay for a year or two. It takes a while for fruit trees to tell you if they're not happy. And by that time, you've invested time, you've invested money, you can't go back to the, the garden center and say, Hey, this tree, this tree isn't working for me, they don't care. So what I prefer to do is start people out beforehand and we want to create a vision of what you want on your property, knowing that these trees will be there for 25 years, maybe for 50 years, depending on what trees and what root stocks you get them on. They could be there for 100 years. You want to make sure that these are the right trees that will feed your family for years to come, for generations to come. And so your very first challenge is to choose the right trees. So sure, if you took the the time to do the research yesterday to research the right trees to get and to research what care they're going to need once you plant them, sure, planting them yesterday is great. But if you didn't have time yesterday to do all that work, now is even better because you can take the time and delve in, learn more and have a fabulous tree, or many of them, that will really nourish your family for years to come, and you guys will be a partner in the adventure of producing fruit. You do your part as the caregiver of the tree, and the tree will do its part
0: well, I feel better already um, definitely thought wow we we kind of we kind of blew it we've let two years go by where we could have had trees out there growing. you know I was thinking the other day we live in this. Instant gratification culture and growing fruit trees. I mean, gardening is one thing, and it's a big jump for a lot of people who who are stepping into this lifestyle. And you know, it takes a little time. It takes some effort. It takes some planning. There's definitely trial and error. But with with planting an orchard, there's definitely a lot more time. And it sounds like the desire for haste can really really mess up your plans. Um, did you have? I mean, did you encounter that? when you planted that first planting?
1: Uh, Let me put it this way. Uh, I made possibly every single mistake that you could make, that you can actually make when planting fruit trees. I am a person who has learned from many, many mistakes. And that's why I'm a fun teacher, because I'm okay sharing those mistakes with others. You can, we can all have a big laugh um, at the time, I may have wept over the waste, the wasted money, the wasted time, but that's how I learn. And so in my books that I write, in my online courses, I'll tell you everything I did wrong. You can laugh about it and you don't have to make those mistakes yourself. And you will always remember. <laughs> You'll always remember not to make those mistakes. So, yes, uh, we did everything wrong. We, we chose the wrong trees. Um, In some cases, we planted them in the wrong places. Uh, They got sick um, because they were maybe harder to grow cultivars. Um, We've had lots of challenges. We didn't know how to prune them. And pruning is so much a a part of how you keep a fruit tree healthy and productive. It's it's not like pruning a native tree where you just uh, prune off the broken branches or the dead branches. This is totally different. So, yeah, I've done it all.
0: Wow. Well, that's great. That's good to know you've, uh, you've, you've, you've taken the leap and, uh, and fallen on your face, and you're here to share that information. I mean, going back to selection of cultivars, selection of even the type of fruit you want to grow. I mean, you mentioned the big box stores. I've certainly gotten catalogs in the mail for different nurseries. I've had recommendations for nurseries and their, and their websites and, and, and done a lot of looking around I mean, what's what's your best recommendation to kind of make the right selection early on?
1: I actually have a lot of fun. I started off teaching this course in person. Right now I've got an online course. It's called Researching Your Fruit Tree for Organic Growing Success. And I used to teach it in person and I still do from time to time where I take people from step to step. Like, what do you do as you go through the puzzle of choosing the right fruit trees? So I'll start off and say, okay, guys, What kind of fruit do you want to grow? And so they might say, well, I want to grow, you know, apples. I want to grow peaches and I want to grow a pear tree. And I've got a small yard, so maybe three trees. And so we'll talk about it and I'll say, okay, write down what your choices are. Here's a fruit tree catalog. Take your pick and I'll get people to show me what they choose. And they might choose one apple tree. Let's say it's a Macintosh apple and then one peach tree whatever it is, one, one Bartlett pear tree. And they say, Hey, here's my choices. And I'll say, awesome. Now here's the problem. You actually won't get any apples or any pears from your choices. Because the problem with with fruit trees is is that many of them are not self pollinating. They need a pollination partner. So you're going to need two apple trees of different types in order to cross-pollinate with each other so that you can have fruit. If you only have one, you'll have a beautiful tree. It will blossom, but it will never produce fruit. And we go through step-by-step where they take this list of trees they've chosen from the Fruit Tree Nursery Catalog, and I let them go and do their research and come back and show me, and I'm like okay, well, you're going to have to change that now because you need pollination partners. Or, okay, you might need to change that now because you got the wrong climate zone. Or, so there's a whole bunch of puzzle pieces that you need to fill in as you go along. But the one thing I tell a lot of people, and this is something that people really remember, is that fruit trees are like kids in kindergarten. They get every single disease that is going around, right? In kindergarten, one kid sneezes, all the kids get sick. So same thing with fruit trees. There are diseases that blow from tree to tree, and they can be really bad and make your growing experience not fun at all and not successful. And so so scientists have developed in a natural way. Breeders have bred certain trees in a natural way so that they are resistant to certain Very common diseases. So they make selections. Oh, this tree doesn't seem to get fire blight very much. And the fruit tastes good. Let's make that a cultivar. Let's call it Liberty Apples or whatever it is. Apple scab. That's another problem you get with so many fruit trees. You get these sort of olive olive colored spots on the fruit and the leaves and it doesn't look good and the fruit isn't appealing. Well, that doesn't have to happen if you get a scab resistant fruit tree. So as you go through these steps, you then will find the perfect tree for your site, for your needs and for your location. And you can customize your tree so much that you can even choose a a specific rootstock for your tree. So you probably know that fruit trees are made up of two parts. They're two trees that are fused together with grafting and the top part tells you what kind of fruit you're growing and the bottom part or the roots will determine a number of things including the size of the tree when it's mature. So if you've got a small garden you can have a fruit tree that won't be more than 12 feet tall at maturity if it's on dwarfing rootstock. So that's another part of the puzzle. You want to choose the top part of the tree, a cultivar that is disease resistant. You want to make sure it has its pollination partners. You've got to make sure it's for your climate zone. And you can then think about the bottom part of the tree. Do you want a dwarfing tree? Or there are advantages to have semi-dwarfing, larger trees or even full-size trees.
0: Okay, great. Well, that's that's uh, that's a really great great answer to that question. I was going to ask along the lines of in the selection process, you know, somebody who has a quarter acre and limited space versus someone who has 5, 10, 15 acres and and more space, what kind of considerations were there? Would that mostly be based on the, the rootstock?
1: So that is a fantastic question. And here's the answer. If you have a very small garden, Chances are you will want to plant dwarfing fruit trees. Um, they're smaller; they won't shade your garden. You can grow other plants as well. So your your choices are a little bit more limited if you've got a small space. There is a downside though of smaller dwarfing trees. Trees planted trees grafted onto dwarfing rootstocks, and the downside is that they may only live fifteen to twenty five years. They have shorter lifespans. They produce far less fruit. They're, the yield is much less. And they're weaker. And often they need to be staked and supported because they can't really hold a heavy harvest without the branches breaking. And you certainly don't want a kid to climb that tree. So they've got a downside. If you have a big space, you've got so many options. Now, what modern day orchards do today is they do use dwarfing rootstocks. But they plant the trees anywhere from three to five feet apart. And so this is called high density growing. And so there's a very specific way they cultivate the trees. They need to build uh, trellises to support those trees. And essentially, you're creating a sort of fruiting wall situation. All the trees will be easy to harvest and prune and spray because they are small even if you're spraying organically. um, But you don't have to hire people to climb the trees to go harvest the fruit if it's a taller tree. So that's one option people may want to choose. And all of this stuff I I teach people on my website at orchardpeople.com. So if that's the way somebody wants to go to really maximize production, but knowing that those trees will have to be replaced every 15 years, So that's more for like a commercial orchardist. If you want to do things a little bit more naturally, you can use semi-dwarfing trees, which will get bigger. You can use extension pruners to extension harvesting tools to harvest or harvest with a ladder, but you will get more fruit. Um, And using correct pruning, you can still keep those fruit trees pretty compact, maybe 14 feet maybe 16 feet, depending on the type of tree, cherries are bigger, apples can be small. These are going to be strong trees, these semi-dwarf trees that kids can climb on, that don't need staking, that can support uh, snow in a cold winter or even ice during an ice storm. Um, So there are benefits to that, but then you'll have to plant them further apart So they don't compete underground with their root systems and so they don't compete above ground with their branches crashing into each other and scratching each other and causing wounds that are entry points for pests and disease problems.
0: So would you say, I mean, the semi-dwarf has got my attention. Is that, would you recommend that as kind of the, the best middle of the road option for most people depending on the situation?
1: I like semi-dwarf trees, and that's what we have in our orchard, because our orchard isn't a public park. So we, um, you know, we have we know that there's going to be kids there climbing, throwing footballs around. We can't have delicate little trees that are going to break at any time. And we love pruning. Pruning is one of the most joyful and wonderful ways to connect with your fruit tree. It's it's fascinating, it's fun and it's a partnership where you're watching and looking for what the tree needs. You are removing totally healthy branches in order to create a strong fruit-bearing structure for your tree that will support a heavy harvest. So, it's certain wonderful strategies, but you're working with your tree once a year and and making it so that it can support a beautiful, heavy harvest so that the fruit can ripen properly. So I love semi-dwarf trees. People rarely plant full-size trees. That's called standard rootstocks or full-size rootstocks. But what I've learned over the years is in a way, that's a shame. And if I could, I would plant one more tree in Ben Nobleman Park where our orchard is, and it would be a crab apple on a full size rootstock. The reason is full size trees can live a hundred years or more. And when they get old, they get holes in them. They get, they actually create this amazing ecosystem for very specific wildlife and insects that really need this home. So if we are doing only semi-dwarf and dwarfing trees were missing out on that layer. So if I had the space that you probably have, and I love fruit trees and I I love experimenting, I would probably do most of my fruit trees semi-dwarf, but I might do a row of dwarfing trees, maybe for cider apples, Um, do a trellis just for the one row to experiment, to learn more about the training system and the growing system, And then somewhere in there, I'd have a big old crabapple tree or some some old tree that can be old one day. And um, together, I think you'd have a really beautiful uh, environment. And of course, in every single orchard, I highly recommend having an insectary or pollinator garden, making sure that there are blossoms throughout the growing season to attract those beneficial insects that will not only pollinate your fruit trees, but that will eat the insect pests that are going to try and and eat the fruit and the leaves on your trees. So um, it is about creating a polyculture uh, experience in your space.
0: Wow. I can already see it. The vision is unfolding in my head and uh, this is, this is great. A question on pollination and spacing. You had mentioned that, Okay, say we're doing uh, the Liberty Apple, for example. You mentioned that cultivar. If I were to plant another Liberty Apple, will they produce fruit or does it have to be a different variety?
1: Absolutely not. They will not produce fruit. That's a mistake lots of people make. So it has to be a genetically different uh, tree, but of the same type. So apples and crab apples, for instance, they can cross-pollinate. So if you... But you know, plant a Liberty apple, and you actually have on your site a beautiful crab apple. They will cross pollinate, but there's other ones that are kind of confusing. So um, certain types of, like Japanese plums and European plums, may not cross pollinate. Um, sweet cherry trees and sour cherry trees, they don't cross pollinate. So there's a little bit of learning to figure out who cross pollinates with who. And in some cases, depending on the climate you live in, there are some apple trees that flower early, there are some that flower later. So you need to get the two trees flowering at the same time. So you want to make sure those two apple trees will be compatible. Here in Ontario, I I haven't, maybe because there are so many apple trees around, um, I haven't experienced a problem with people buying two different apple trees and them not cross-pollinating, but it could happen theoretically.
0: Okay. Now, as far as spacing in cross-pollination, you know, I've probably got about three different locations I would like to have fruit trees in the long term. Is spacing a pretty significant issue, I would assume?
1: Think of, think of you know, be a bee in your imagination, right? It's got to go and, or, you know, whatever pollinator it is, it's got to find one tree and then you want it to find the other tree. So you do want them to be close enough that they will cross pollinate. Now saying that, in one space, you may have your apple trees. And in another space far away, you may have your peach trees or what cherry trees or whatever. And that as long as they are with their pollination buddies, um, you know, not too far away, then you'll be good.
0: Okay, well, that's, that's good to know. So we've talked selection gotten into that and i think that was a really good outline and it definitely opened my eyes we've talked a little bit about cross pollination and spacing so we've got the uh, we've got the map written out we've got the trees on order what uh what mistakes can we make right out the gate when we start uh, planting the the orchard
1: okay so now let's say you've gone through all the steps you've got the right cultivars on the right rootstocks you've planted them perfectly um you know, planting is is an interesting challenge because I always suggest people get their fruit trees from specialist fruit tree nurseries, not from the garden center. The garden center won't give you a huge choice, a, a huge selection of trees to choose from. And they'll only give you the cultivars that you get at the supermarket, which are the hardest ones to grow. They really need a lot of pesticides and fungicides to grow those cultivars. So if you are ordering from a specialist fruit tree nursery you'll be getting bare root trees. They'll arrive in the early spring or the late fall. And so there's a little bit of a trick planting those. When they're shipped to you, there is no soil protecting the roots. They are dormant. So you've got to plant them very quickly. Um, And so, you know, if you can plant them right away, great. If you have to keep them in a dark, cool space for a day, maybe two days, that's okay. But If they're in a warm space and the buds on the trees start to open and they emerge from dormancy, those trees will go into shock and die very quickly and you've wasted your money. So you need to plant them right away. Plant them in a way that you're spreading out those root systems so that they have lots of room to expand out. You don't want the roots to be twisting around in circles. You definitely don't want to cut those roots. Those roots have energy. That the tree needs. So you make a hole big enough to accommodate every single root expanded in every single direction. And when you plant it, you have to make sure that the graft union where the two trees have been grafted together is above ground and not buried. If you accidentally bury the graft union, the top part of the tree can root and it'll be as if you didn't have a rootstock. So you don't get any of the benefit of the rootstock. Your dwarfing or semi dwarf tree will just become whatever it is, whatever that that cutting was. So you know disease resistance uh, that that is um, uh, determined in the rootstock. If you don't, if it's not using that rootstock, you don't get the disease resistance. So there's a few tricks when it comes to planting the trees. Then you have to water it well, take care of it, look after it. And prune it annually from the very first year that you plant your tree. And in fact, your first pruning cut will be on the day that you plant your bare root tree. Because at that point, you're going to start to structure your tree, create that beautiful, strong fruit bearing structure um, that you will work on for the first three to five years. And then after that, that's the structure for the lifetime that you will just maintain.
0: Beautiful. Okay. And as far as the time of year... What is the ideal I know typically they ship in late winter early spring is that is that the the only time you can plant pretty much?
1: You know what the fir tree nursery that the, there's a few that I go to in Ontario that I really like and mostly they'll sell their trees bare root um, they sell out quickly because especially the good cultivars the, the disease resistant cultivars or the heirloom cultivars that people are excited about um, so they sell out quickly but, If they don't sell out of something, they'll stick it in a pot and you can buy that whatever tree in a pot. But your selection is going to be less, right? So you can't plant a bare root tree in the middle of summer, but if it's a bare root tree that was popped into a pot with some soil, you can then plant that whenever you need to. And the same thing, if you decide to go with a garden center tree or one from the big box store, I would not recommend it. But if you want to go that route, um, you can plant them at any time during the growing season because they're in a pot. It's not nothing to worry about.
0: Got it. It's in the soil. It's activated. It's it's not dormant. It's fine. Just just being transplanted. So that brings mm-hmm. me to another question that I thought of that kind of leads into the question of speed, right? Because everybody wants, we, you know, we kind of hit on that. Uh, the the they want to shorten that time to start getting fruit. So I've I've heard a company selling. Semi-mature fruit trees in very large containers. Kind of a uh, hey, you can plant these trees in the ground and fast forward the process. I see you shaking your head, and I'm not surprised. But I, I just wondered if you could kind of riff on that, and we can we can get into talking a little bit about the you know your tips for for expediting the process if it's even possible.
1: You want to do? You want to have a successful experience, or do you want to impress your friends and family on day one? Because <laughs> That's your choice. Yes, you can spend hundreds of dollars on a mature tree. But think about it. A fruit tree and any tree has a root system that expands to the edge of the canopy. So the the, the living, those um, feeder roots, the little feeder roots that are the ones that take in water and nutrients, they're right under the edge of the canopy. And so when these people dig out these big trees, you're cutting off half of that tree's ability or lots of that tree's ability to feed itself. Unless you have a root ball that is the size of a small city or whatever, you know, so first of all, that mature tree that was used to its soil is going to go into some sort of shock. Then you plant it in the new soil. It's not going to be happy and resilient. You want to go fast, get the youngest tree you can, from the fruit tree nursery by a whip a whip is a one-year-old tree that's just like one stick with roots smallest thing ever and then once you plant that whip you then do a whip cut on it you cut it down to two-thirds or even half of its size with one cut you know snip and then it activates the buds and these bare root trees they adapt so quickly to their new environment because they're not spoiled by the soil that they used to be in. You care for it properly. You prune it correctly every year for the first three to five years. It's going to grow in a jiffy. It will be very quick. Now, that's in particular if you're doing stone fruit trees that are super vigorous. Apple trees, you get some cultivars that are vigorous. Liberty Apples is one of them, a very vigorous grower. There's other ones that are a little slow, but even the slow ones... If you prune correctly at the right time of year, which is in the uh, dormant season, in the late winter, it actually spurs growth. The tree will grow. It will grow faster. I can explain the science around that. But essentially, when you prune in the late winter, early spring, you are spurring growth. You are pushing your tree to grow more.
0: Okay, so that's that's really the... That's the secret, if there is one, to to moving it along faster. And is that a yearly process? Every every late winter, you're doing that, or just as needed, or how does that look? Uh,
1: well, it depends. So yes. Um, and by the way, you talked about fast. I forgot to mention my book is called Grow Fruit Trees Fast, <laughs> and that's a that's my recent book. And I really wrote it for people like you that are like, gee, I should have planted my fruit trees yesterday. And as I said, no, you shouldn't have. I'm glad you didn't. But there are a whole bunch of techniques in this book that, that will explain how to get your fruit trees to production quicker. So when with regards to your question about pruning, you will prune every single year. Probably in the first three years, you will prune in the late winter. But once the tree starts getting too big, you may decide to prune in the summer after blossom time, because at that point, you're going to want to slow down growth because you may not want your semi-dwarf tree to be three stories tall or however big it wants to get. So you're using your pruning at the right time of year to help the tree manage its energy or to manage the tree's energy for it to, to make it grow big or to keep it compact, depending on what your needs are for the tree at that time.
0: Okay. And as far as just basic care, fertilization, soil type, water, I mean, is theres is there a fairly simple equation as far as that goes? Or does it really depend?
1: Um, I would say it's simplish in the sense that if you're planting fruit trees, I would like it personally if you were to test your soil first to make sure there's no major imbalances. And correct the soil, give yourself a year, like if you're thinking of planting those fruit trees next year, maybe this fall, even now, you could send in a soil test and see what's going on. If it's perfect, great. If there's any corrections that need doing, you can do them, you know, whether it's cover crops or whether it's organic amendments, whatever you're going to do. Get things ready for those little trees so that they're in a happy environment once you plant them, your main way knowing that the soil the the soil nutrient level is is healthy and balanced, you will definitely need to water regularly because fruit trees don't have teeth; they can't chew, and they can only take in nutrients in liquid form. So if they get dehydrated, they are also starving. So you want to make sure they have enough water, and you want to make sure that they get uh, nutrition and organic matter in the early spring before they start the marathon of blossoming and uh, producing a harvest. So I always mulch my fruit trees in the early spring uh, with about two inches of compost, uh, making sure that I've done really great mulch circles up to the edge of the canopy, however old the tree is, that mulch circle grows. So I pull away the grass. The mulch circle is bigger. And I, I put two inches of uh, compost or one inch of well-rotted manure in a circle in a donut shape, making sure that that compost or manure does not touch the trunk of the tree because that would not be good. That would introduce moisture that could rot that trunk.
0: Okay. And that's that's all you do for organic fertilization? That's,
1: That's part one. Okay, so that's, remember, I I told you that I was looking for what is the minimum I need to do to keep my fruit trees healthy and happy. That's the minimum. Now, if you want to take it from there, and you want really healthy trees that are really resilient in the face of pests and diseases, you could do holistic sprays that are very easy. Um, You can do them once every 10 days or once a week.
0: Folks, I just wanted to step away from the conversation with Susan real quick and tell you about my friends at Azure Standard. Azure Standard has changed my family's life in regards to how we get our food. We certainly are working hard on our homestead to grow as much food as we can, but we will never be able to grow everything. It's just not practical with the limitations that we have. And so it's really nice to know that we've got a really solid source for bulk ingredients. That's primarily what we use Azure Standard for is buying things like buckets of honey or buckets of apple cider vinegar, buying organic grains and legumes by the 25-50 pound bag. And uh, much of that is what has made up our fairly deep larder here on the homestead. And they provide uh, really quality ingredients to include organic ingredients and it's just, it's just an amazing company, family-owned and operated, and I can't recommend them enough. They, they've they got just about everything related to uh, health and beauty for the home. So head over to Azure Standard and check them out and see if they might be a good fit for you and your family. I will leave a link in the show notes. You can head right over and check them out. And uh, with that being said, let's get back to the conversation with Susan. Susan.
1: So scientifically, the goal of these sprays is to increase photosynthesis in the tree. The more the tree will photosynthesize, like the leaves, you'll see after you do a spray, the leaves are going to get green and lush and beautiful within hours of spraying them. The tree photosynthesizes more. And what it does is all these sugars it enjoys, it uses, it stashes some in its root system, and it splashes some out into the soil. It's messy. It just releases some of these wonderful nutrients into the soil, which then feed soil organisms. Those organisms are happy if they get this regular, you know, rush of nutrition. They'll stick around your tree. And what they do is they'll help feed the tree with other stuff. Because you've got these organisms in the soil, they will be eating up the um, organic matter and pooping out or releasing or dying and releasing really great nutrition in a form that your fruit tree can take in in a liquid form so yes so is it simple there are steps to feeding a tree but if you just you're just starting and you're a little overwhelmed you just can start with mulching and in my book grow fruit trees fast a book that takes just an hour to read i explain all this stuff so you know people your listeners can have a look and and just get all the info on that
0: perfect well that's that's brilliant, I will definitely leave of course a, a link in the show notes so folks can pick up the book. It's only an hour, and uh hey I mean it'll it'll probably save you a lot more than an hour and lots of money um, so as far as that spray, is there without getting too much into the details of the book, is there one kind of standard spray that you use, or are there kind of a variety of those
1: uh, you can make it with whatever you have at home. It could be a little teeny bit of molasses and rainwater. Um, or if you can't don't have rainwater, then you can use regular water. You can put in all sorts of things. Sometimes people put in yogurt. It depends what their needs are. Each amendment has a little bit of a different purpose. But, you know, I would say you can even use, believe it or not, very diluted Coca-Cola. You can put in a little bit of Coca-Cola. It gives that tree a Bunch, uh, like a jolt of yummy sweetness. Um, so there's a bunch of different options uh, that you can do.
0: I did not see that one coming. That's interesting. <laughs> um, earlier you mentioned it takes a couple years for a fruit tree to start showing signs of distress or that things are not going the way that uh, it would like it to go. What are some, what are some telltale signs that maybe folks could be looking out for Maybe they've already planted their trees and they're happy to be listening to this, but, uh, they, they want to know, Hey, where, where are we at? I want to take a read. What are some of those signs?
1: Yeah. Great question, Jason. Wonderful question. So first of all, the obvious ones, if your tree has spots on its leaves, orange spots, sort of olivey colored spots, if it's oozing goop, uh, you know, people say, Oh, it's okay. The sap is just running on the tree. When you see stuff oozing out of a fruit tree, it's not sap, it's canker, and it's a pathogen, and it's showing that the tree is not well. So if the tree has any of those symptoms, then you know it needs attention. You need to uh, do some research and find out what's going on and start to care for your tree properly and give it what it needs in terms of food moisture not too much moisture not too little moisture um, and correct pruning makes a huge difference so those are the obvious ones but then there's little ones as well the color of the leaves sometimes the color changes or the size of the leaves we have one tree in our orchard and um, it is not fire blight resistant and it produces lovely fruit but it's been struggling with fire blight we prune it out um, when you know when we see it but you can see that the leaves on that tree are very small they just don't get big so those are the different kind of things to look for you know how um, if if there's a bully in the playground the bully is not going to pick on the strong, confident kids. The bully will pick on the kid that's, that's having a rough time at home, that's, you know, not happy or sad or, or, you know, for whatever reason is vulnerable. It's the same thing with fruit trees. If you have a fruit tree that's being hit big time by pests and diseases, it's giving you a message. It's saying, mommy or daddy, take care of me. I need some love because then I'll be resilient and I'll be able to fight this off. But without help from the caregiver, which is the the grower, um, that tree, fruit trees just, they can't do it on their own. They're not meant to because they're grafted. They're like little franken trees. They're not like a big, hardy, tough native tree that's grown from a seed. So they need our love and they need our care. And if we give it, we can have uh, an abundance um of of gifts from that tree, a beautiful harvest every single year. But we have to do our part too.
0: Understood. Okay. They're obviously very important to select those disease resistant varieties. And as you mentioned that a lot of, a lot of that has to do with the root stock. When I think about a lot of the homesteaders that I talk to, folks that are kind of identify that way and are trying to just get back to basics here. Uh, there's a lot of pragmatism in that movement and in that that in that uh, community it, are there any specific types of fruit or cultivars that you could kind of give a, a, a better than passing grade for just utilitarian uses maybe they're not the uh, the the They're not fancy, they're not going to put on a real show, but they're just going to be solid producers that are easy, disease resistant, generally good in most climates. Are there any that would kind of ring a bell for that?
1: In cool climates, you know, you've got things like native plants like service berries or pawpaw trees. You know, if you can grow those uh, native plants, the native papas, not papayas, but papas, if you can grow those plants on your your site, uh, then those are no brainers for sure. Do it. Their care is a lot less Um, and they're rugged and that's fantastic. Um, In terms of other trees, I would say whichever tree you're going to go for, it's not like it's rocket science. I think our grandparents knew how to do this kind of thing. It was intuitive for them. They knew that just like you don't have a baby and expect it to fend for itself, you don't have a fruit tree or an orchard and just expect it to do its thing. I think our grandparents knew this and And somehow we're so overwhelmed, and rightly so, with all the different new responsibilities that we're learning in order to take care of ourselves in a traditional way and not, you know, benefiting from modern technologies and whatever. So I understand people are overwhelmed, but here's the deal fruit trees will feed you for years to come. And every year, the harvest will be bigger and better, and more beautiful. I mean, there will be off years. Sometimes you've got alternative bearers. They give you a lot of fruit one year, not not a lot the next year. But if you make one investment in your homestead, I would say do an orchard, right? It's the care does not take 24-7. But you just have to do what you have to do. You just need to learn how to prune, how to feed them. And in terms of the holistic sprays, from what I understand, um, I have an episode on my radio show with John Kempf, and he was the first one that really talked to me in depth about that. It's a good le- episode to listen to. And he said with holistic sprays, you do them for one to two years, but after that, the fruit trees and the organisms in the soil are so well established together that they do it themselves. The fruit tree is strong enough to photosynthesize at its maximum. And the soil organisms know that this is an awesome piece of real estate and I'm not going anywhere. This is where I want to be. So a little upfront investment will give you such a payoff over the years. So I think it's really worth worth learning the little bit that you need to know.
0: No, that's, that's great. So the first couple of years, while the tree is still pretty accessible and the, the leaves are accessible, you're in there spraying and just kind of getting getting things set up. And after that, if you do your job and everything's good, yeah, okay. They, they grow up into beautiful trees. So you, you mentioned learning, and you referenced your book, of course. And uh, I know you have some other resources uh, that seem pretty amazing, especially this online course that I'm going to have to check out. But I wonder if you could kind of talk to the audience a little bit about what you have to offer and if they're wanting to learn more and, and learn from the mistakes that you've made.
1: I've made so many. I mean, I'm sitting here sounding like I know everything. And if I know everything, I don't, by the way, but whatever I know, I know from making mistakes. So if anybody out there is listening to the show and thinking, oh, I'm so embarrassed I made those mistakes, don't worry, I made them. You know, we just keep going and we tell our friends so that our friends don't have to do it. Um, In terms of resources, my website is orchardpeople.com. So there, they've got tons of articles. I've got podcasts that go out once a month, and these are packed with information. And at learn.orchardpeople.com, you can take my courses. And I've taken 14 years of lessons, of podcast interviews, of not 14 years of podcast interviews, but of speaking to experts to create hopefully really fun and delightful courses that are easy to go through, that will entertain you, that will make you laugh, perhaps make you cry at times, (laughs) Um, but that ultimately will teach you what you need to know in order to grow those fruit trees successfully. The course that I would recommend for most people to start off with is called Certificate in Fruit Tree Care. And in that course, I teach everything pretty much that you need to know. There is a two-hour segment made up of little videos that are fun to take, but all about how to choose a fruit tree that's right for your site. I, do, I will teach you how to plant the tree. I will teach you fruit tree pruning in the early years and then what you do in the follow-up years. And I will teach you pest and disease prevention. So with that course alone, people say, wow, okay, I didn't feel like that was eight hours long. It's eight hours worth of content. And then they say, I can do this. This is doable. I can do this thing. It's okay. Many people only take that course, Certificate in Fruit Tree Care. Then there's other people like me who love getting geeky and wanting to learn more and more. So I have created a course called, called Managing Fruit Tree Pests and Diseases, where I teach something called Integrated Pest Management. So essentially, it's more pest and disease prevention, a pest identification, All sorts of stuff. Everything's empowering. Everything's great for organic growers and made to be fun and easy to go through. So hopefully if your listeners are interested, they can go to orchardpeople.com or learn.orchardpeople.com, which you can get to through my main website. And then, of course, there's if you just have one hour and you're just not sure if you want to grow fruit trees or if you're trying to figure out what might have gone wrong with your own fruit tree that you planted a few years ago, get my book Grow Fruit Trees Fast which is available on Amazon.
0: Beautiful. Well, that eight, eight hour course sounds amazing. I mean, 14 years of experience distilled down into eight hours. And I just love the idea. It it just seems like the perfect fit, especially for me and my family. Like I said, we, we really felt like, did we screw up? And I like, I don't know. I think, you know, it was a blessing that we were a little bit underfunded and, and slowed things down and observed the property and, I think uh, I know now, even before I spoke with you, that had we done it, we would have, even just spacing and planning, I think we would have ended up making some pretty obvious mistakes. And what I've learned now, I could see us doing a little bit of dwarf, a little bit of semi-dwarf, maybe mostly semi-dwarf, and planting a couple of heritage full-size trees as well. So, um, Susan, I just I want to thank you. I'll definitely be leaving show notes uh, notes. Uh, Links in the show notes to everything that you mentioned. And I hope that folks will take advantage of the resources you have available. And uh, yeah, just, just thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jason. It's been so much fun to talk to you. And um, it's great. Keep in touch.
0: I definitely will. Thanks. All right, folks. There was my conversation with Susan Poisoner of OrchardPeople.com. I learned a ton there. I hope you did as well. Hopefully that was helpful to those of you who uh, are looking to plant their first orchard, or maybe have already planted and, and maybe needed a little guidance. Uh, as mentioned, I will definitely be leaving links to her online course, um, her online courses, and her in her website and her book, and definitely recommend you go and check out what she's got going on. And uh, with that, just want to thank you for being here and I hope you uh, took something away from this one and look forward to sharing the next conversation that I have coming up for you and until then this is Jason signing off reminding you to do something today to improve your tomorrow
1: Thank you for listening to the Plans and Provisions podcast. If you would like to stay up to date with everything happening around the homestead head on over to the website at plansandprovisions.com